0: Judges chapter 6. Now we're still in Hebrews 11, but we're only going to read just a little smidge of Hebrews 11 and then jump into Judges chapter 6. The last week, I don't know why it escaped my mind, but as we're preaching through Rahab, the greatest thing about Rahab after it all is said and done is the fact that she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And God selected all that would be in his lineage, right? He, He very much Thought through and said, "Okay, this is the tribe. This is the line," and he allowed her, Rahab, even though she was not Jewish um, originally, in the sense of being a Hebrew, Hebrew blood, and she has that checkered past. And yet, God still saw her faith and said, "That will be good for my life and my bloodline and and my uh, genealogy." And I and I failed to mention that last week, so I apologize. But what an awesome testament! Of God's grace in that particular um, area as well I do want to encourage everyone to come out next week to the barbecue um, it'll be an awesome time of just togetherness bring whatever long games you want bring lawn chairs if you want there will be some um, picnic tables out there but we still want you to be able to um, you know I think it will have more people than can fit on all the picnic tables so you can bring different things like that I don't know if we're going to have a softball game, but just bring gloves and bats just in case we can figure that one out. Uh, without, uh, and the, my fear is I don't want to hit people in the head as we hit the ball. Um, but we, if we can figure out some way, or at least whiffle ball, we'll at least do a whiffle ball game. If you have like can jam and spike ball and things like that, uh, bring it and bring people, invite them in, anybody's welcome. And again, you don't have to stay very long. You can come and go as you see fit. Hebrews chapter 11 I'm going to read in just a second and um, but let's pray and then we'll we'll get right to it tonight Father, thank you again for allowing us to be here Thank you for the friends and guests and visitors and members father who have been able to join with us today Thank you for those that have traveled a long way to be here and father for special people in our hearts And Lord, we just pray now that you would work in our midst and that you would show forth things and challenge us in areas and Father increase our faith grow us as we try to follow you Help us not just to be people of word, but people of deed as well, Lord, people of faithfulness and following. Lord, we just pray that you would allow our hearts to be opened, that our ears would listen, and that we would apply these things to the Holy Spirit's presence, and that your power would be completely and wholly upon us and upon the service. Change us, Lord. Change us into your image. Forgive us when we fail and we fight from that. But Lord, change us today. We pray all this now in Jesus' name, amen we're in a series on Hebrews 11 talking about different elements of faith and what faith looks like. So we talk a lot about faith and it becomes um, the language of the Christian people, right? Faith, 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 faith. But I think in looking at how faith is is kind of exemplified in these people, we begin to get some tangible know-how of what faith looks like in our lives. And I understand circumstances may be different but one of the great things to constantly remind yourself about the bible and the people in the bible is that they were all just like you and i they were all sinners who needed god's grace they were just in different time periods sometimes we can look at them and we can begin to put them on pedestals and think of them as something larger than life or as demigods in greek mythology but they were just like you and i and here's what i want you to continually hear throughout this series and throughout your walk with christ As God wanted people of faith back then to do mighty things and to move mountains and to change the course of history and to change the life of future, so too would He want people of faith now. And I would dare say that the people of faith back then didn't always know how God was going to use them. Didn't know. God didn't come down to them with a contract and say, alright, if you will follow me and be faithful, here's what I'm going to do. And there will be people looking back at your life hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, and say, man, that was a supernatural faith. They didn't know that. They were like you and I, had the same fears, had the same afflictions, had the same worries, had the same sinful uh, uh, temptations, and all of that. And yet we can see in Hebrews 11 especially, these magnificent examples of faith and i wonder who will be those chosen in our generation to be people of faith people who will change the course of history people who will respond to god in a faithful way and understand this too again they are chock full of holes in their lives they are chock full of mess ups they are chock full of things that we would say why would god use them and that is true. Why would God use any of us? But if there's hope for God to use them, then why not us today for such a time as this? Why not us today for, the, for Long Island and for our country and the world? And so I'm telling you, if some of us will hear this and respond and the Holy Spirit gets hold of us, it may very well be that God allows us here to see magnificent things happen because of faith and his response in our lives because of our response in faith so we come to hebrews chapter 11 and by the way i want you to really believe that i don't want you to just hear me say that and says wow that sounds inspirational no i want you to really believe that god can use you and wants to use you and to do all these amazing things in our life not for our glory or our sake or our name but for his sake his glory and his name hebrews chapter 11 Back to verse thirty-two, the Bible says, "And what shall I say? Uh, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and of Samuel and of the prophets." And here we have the, one of the mentions here of Gideon. Time would fail me to tell. The writer of Hebrews is saying, "Man, I, I spent a long time talking about Noah and spent a long time talking about Moses." And I spent some time um, talking about Abraham and spent some time even talking about Rahab. I wish I had the time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Jephthah and David and Samuel. And he goes on the list, a whole bunch of different people. Boom, 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 boom. Now we are going to take some time to look at some of these people. We're not going to look at all of them in depth. But I do want to look, take some time each week to look at at least some of them to be able to be inspired by how they lived that it might, might translate into our life. So let's look at Gideon today. So like I said earlier, open up to Judges chapter number 6. One of the things you need to know when we go into the book of Judges is that Israel is in a perpetual cycle of sin. And what I mean by that is Israel has occupied the promised land. They're kind of self-governing now. They've pushed out most of the people that they were supposed to push out, but they did not push out everybody. And that has come back to haunt them. Because they've not pushed out all the worldly and sinful influences, those worldly and sinful influences have begun to take hold in their lives and in their children's lives and in their children's children's lives. And so what would happen is that one generation who served God would have children whose children would kind of wander off into worshiping other gods and to look at other gods and, and kind of start to follow them. And then because... That was sinful and idolatry and because the people had gotten away from God. God would allow an enemy to come in and take them over. And in their affliction of being taken over by an enemy, the Israelites would cry out to God, God help us. And God in his mercy would come in and send a deliverer. A prophet or a judge that would come in um, and deliver them from their enemy. And guess what would happen? It would be about that generation would stay faithful to God, and the next generation would kind of wander off again. And then here would come an enemy that God brought in. And then here would come the Israelites to cry out in their affliction. And here would come the faithful, awesome, merciful God would send in a deliverer. And that happened over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges. We come to chapter 6, and the Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil... In the sight of the lord and the lord delivered them in the hand of many in seven years so again we find that israel has wandered off into sin and into idolatry into worshiping other gods and like was the way that god was handling it back then he allowed them to be delivered into the hand of an enemy and that was to get their attention to purge them from their sinful ways and to get them to cry out unto them. I want, as a side note, nothing to do with what we're talking about in faith. But sometimes God allows us to go through affliction that we would have to cry out on Him. Um, when everything is peachy keen and everything is, is, is smooth sailing, we often forget to be on our knees and pray to God. We often forget to rely on God. I think in the Lord's Prayer where it says, give us this day our daily bread. And, and I've said this before, but in America, we hardly have to pray God, to give us this day our daily bread. We're thinking, i got enough food for a long time. If we were starving, maybe we'd have to pray that. But because we're not starving, we don't. And so when everything is good, sometimes God allows things to be shooken up a little bit that we'd be on our knees. Here, everything wasn't good, but God still allowed them to wander off so they would be brought into affliction so He can get their attention to bring them back. It's always God's desire to bring them back. And I find that as an awesome, awesome uh, aspect of the mercy of God. So here are the Midianites. Verse number 2. In the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. "...till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle in their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midians, Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel." And I'm going to stop reading there. And so again, what happened here, they fall into sin and he brings in the Midianites. Now their way of affliction was not just a hostile takeover. It was like a, a resource takeover, like grasshoppers would do. And so what happened is they, as they were building their crop and making their food. Um, the Midianites would come in and take all the food and walk, walk right on out. So every time there was food, it was stolen away. They never had enough to take care of no sustenance because it was kept on being taken away by the uh, Midianites there. And so they became impoverished. They became in desperation of food, namely because of the people, uh, because of the Midianites taking away all their food. Now they had nothing to eat. And now they cried out, for seven years this happened, but now they cried out to God. God help us! And as it would be, God did hear. them I mean, he sent a prophet. Now I'll cut to the chase. The prophet gets in there and says, Hey, listen, you turned your back on me. You started worshiping false gods. This didn't have to happen. It could have been avoided. Fast forward just a bit. Go to verse number 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is Orpha, that pertained unto Joash, the Abiezerite of, the, of his son Gideon's, threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the midianites so one day there's the angel of the lord and i want to say this most more often than not just about every time the angel of the lord is a pre-incarnate christ it is a uh, a jesus christ uh, coming and um and, and revealing himself before his incarnation in the flesh and so here is this angel of the lord is sitting under a tree and hi- hiding up on the threshing floor the wine press is gideon and he's growing food and threshing the wheat to hide it. So he's making like a a secret garden, if you will, to be able to hide this food so the enemy doesn't take it. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, Thou, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out from Egypt? But now the Lord had forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Now I want you to hear that dialogue because we can easily translate that dialogue to today. Here comes the angel of the Lord and says, You are a mighty man of valor, a mighty man of God. God is with you. And he says, If God is with us, then why is all this happening? Why all these bad things? Where are these miracles? My father and my father's father and my father's father's father told us all these great stories how God brought them across the sea and brought them uh, against their enemies and, and provided manna in the wilderness. And now we see none of it. We see nothing but oppression. We see nothing but affliction. We see nothing but hardship. Where is God in all this? Now I don't believe Gideon is making accusation against God. I think he's making observation And his observation is, if God's really with us, man, it sure don't look like it. We can easily look around in America right now and say, if God's with us, it sure don't look like it. Sometimes in our own personal lives, things don't go the way we expected them to go or wanted them to go. And it might be easily to observe, why has this happened? If God's with us, it sure don't look like it. And sometimes that happens. Now in this particular case, we understand it was the sin of Israel that it caused this kind of separation. And sin always separates us from God. Uh, There is often times where the devil will tempt us with a thought saying that if we sin, it will make our lives better or easier or more enjoyable. And, and, And maybe we can just ask for forgiveness later. Something of that nature. But sin never, never, never makes things better. It always makes things worse. Always. And so don't ever believe the lie of the devil to let you think that it's going to make life better. It's always going to make it worse, no matter what. And so the angel of the Lord and Gideon are having this conversation. Verse number 14, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midians, Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Notice the angel of the Lord now goes into first person. The Bible says, And the Lord looked upon him and spoke, Go! I sent thee. I have not I sent thee. So here God comes to Gideon and says, you are going to save Israel. People in pride respond like this. Good choice. You got that right. But people in pride are not who God wants to use bibles tells us that pride goes before destruction the holy spirit before uh, the fall and so the uh, bible says humble yourself in the sight of the lord he will lift you up but if you build yourself up in pride he tears you down look at gideon's response and he said unto him oh my lord wherewith shall i save israel Befo- behold my family is poor in manasseh and i am the least In my father's house. He sounds a whole lot like Moses in some ways. He says, I am one of the lowliest of tribes. Remember, Manasseh wasn't even one of the originals, if you will. And and so he says, I am one of the lowest of the tribes, and I am one of the poorest of families in the lowest tribe, and I am the least in my family. I mean, you couldn't pick worse. You could pick a much better, stronger, more authoritative tribe, and you can find a much wealthier one up that way. But even if you were going to choose the tribe of Manasseh, you can find a far more affluent and powerful and influential family. And even if you were going to be stubborn to pick my family, there's still a whole lot more people in my family who are more qualified for this job. How in the world am I going to save Israel? Don't you love how God chooses sometimes? Don't you love that God does not care about earthly circumstances the way we do? Aren't you glad that God chooses the baser things of this world to confound the wise, the simple things of the world to confound the wise? Aren't you glad that God can look upon us and see nothing, and out of that nothing make something if we would just be available I've heard it said this the only ability God really wants is availability he doesn't need the anything else he doesn't he'll he'll equip the called. he doesn't call the equipped because here's Gideon saying I listen I, I'm not the one and by the way I also want you to notice what is he doing you'll find this a lot this is a side note of finding God's will you'll find that people find the Lord in his will while they're just being obedient, doing what they're supposed to be doing. He's just taking care of his family. He's not saying, here I am to lead. He's just taking care of his family, threshing the floor of the hidden wheat field. Moses was just keeping the sheep. Saul was just trying to find his dad, find the lost donkeys. The, the men who were called to be fishers of men were just washing their nets. You will find what you're looking for when you're just doing the mundane thing you're supposed to be doing, that's where God will find you to call you to do the next thing. See, sometimes people sit on the sidelines and say, I'm not doing anything until God calls me to do the great thing that I should be doing. And if you're not doing already, He's not going to call you to do anything else. So you be faithful in serving. I mean, that might be simple as opening the door for people. See, that's mundane, but that's where God finds. The people He wants to use. The humble. Who are just willing to serve like this. Just the simple things. So the Lord says to him, You, and he says, not me, wrong guy. Then look at verse 16. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. Friend, that is all there ever has to be said that's it it's done i will be with you now that's not enough for us half the time god lets us know he'll be with us i'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. um god will will move in our heart to to point us in direction and he'll give us that strength we'll be with you i'll be with you and we still think it still can't get done there's no way and yet god says i will be with you gideon You remember this, God will never call you to do something that He won't be with you in it. He'll never lead you to a place where He'll abandon you. He'll never lead you to do something that His grace will not keep you. And so I want you to lay down your apprehensions and your excuses of why you can't. If God's called you, you can, because the promise is, I will be with thee. So here comes, now think of Gideon. There's a man sitting under a tree, that's all he knows. Now it's the Lord, but he doesn't know that just yet. And the man says, you are a man of God. And God is going to use you. And then he says, I will be with you, I have sent you. And Gideon's like, you got the wrong guy, and the wrong family, and the wrong tribe, and the wrong one in the family. He said, "No, no, I will be with you." Verse at the end of verse sixteen, surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. He said, "We're going to take out this whole tribe, as if it were just one person, just one." Look down at verse number twenty-four. It goes through this discussion uh, uh, of between Gideon and and he. Verse 22, actually, and then Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Orpha of the abi And so... There, Gideon gets a recognition that God has come to him and commissioned him and called him. And what does he do? He builds an altar to worship and to sacrifice unto God to worship God and say, God, fine, I don't understand it. I don't know it. But fine. Some of you may be struggling with that same thing. God's called you somewhere. Called you to do something. And you're thinking, I can't. I'm not able to. I don't know how to do it. I have this problem. I have that problem. Like Moses did. And God says, no, no. Trust me in it. That's faith. Part of the story of faith of Gideon, which we haven't even gotten to yet, but the first part is just trusting God's calling and God's commissioning. God knows what He's doing. Verse 25. Remember where He was? He was in a hidden wheat field. And it came to pass the same night... That the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar of the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him, and so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down by, that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son that he might die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. Notice here, friend, that he went from, he's kind of this timid guy, hiding from the Midianites. God says, okay, now I want you to do something really, really bold. I want you to go out there and smash your father's altar and the other people of Israel's altar down, destroy it and build the real altar. And he's nervous to do it by day because what will happen? What's going to happen if he does this? If he does it by day, they're going to kill him. But he obeys. You get on this train with God, And sometimes he asks you to do really bold things. It's a great thing about faith. Remember, if it was easy, it wouldn't be a faith. And so he smashes it down with his men and builds the altar on. Well, it's not long before everyone else figures out what's happened and says, who did this? And they say, Gideon did it. And he says, bring your son out here. He's going to die today. If we pause right here, we say this. God just told him to do something to get him killed. Young people, if you're like under 30, I want you to listen for just a second. If you're older than 30, you can listen too. But if you're under 30, you are inheriting a world that I can't even possibly predict what it's going to look like. It gets more and more hostile against Christianity. More and more hostile against truth. More and more hostile against Christians. Christians. God may very well be in this time and place prepping people to be called to do something bold that if they do it may cause their death. I'm not God. I don't get to tell you what God is or isn't going to do. But I'm telling you this. The time looks ripe that God might call us to do something that looks like it's dangerous. And young people, you're going to have to take the torch. You're going to have to be stronger in faith than my generation is. My generation lived in a time of kind of peace and prosperity in America. You're you're going to be inheriting a time that's much more full of conflict and difficulty. And so I want you to uh, uh, embrace this truth that you might very well need to be bold in ways that my generation never had to. And so here he is, he calls them to do it and he obeys and he does it. And now, we go down to here. Verse number 32. Therefore that day he called him uh, Drubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him. Actually, let's go back to verse number 31. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst yet mourning if he be God, let him plead for himself, because one had cast down his altar. Therefore, on that same day, called he drubable, saying, let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. And so what happened is, uh, they start getting and we're going to kill him, and someone says, let, let the, if that God's real, let him plead himself. If that God's real, let him take vengeance on Gideon himself. Verse 33 then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. And Abiezer was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, uh, who was gathered after him. And he sent messengers to go up into Asher and to Zebulun and to Naphtali. And then they came to meet them. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if it be dew on the fleece only, and if it be dry upon the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early in the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, and a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not that anger be hot against me, and I will speak, but this once, let me prove, I pray thee, But this once with the fleece, let it be now be dry only upon the fleece and upon the ground, let it be there be dew. And God did so that night for it was dry upon the fleece only. And there was dew on all the ground. Now you can interpret this a few different ways, but here's what happened. And then I'll give you some kind of uh, um, insight on it, perhaps. But he said, God, I know what you call me to do and I see what you're doing here. But I want to make sure that you're really with me. So I'm going to put out the fleece. Now, some people criticize this and and say, well, he should just trust God. Well, that's nice, so should we all. I don't know if if you're like me, but I've put out the fleece more than I can count, probably. And I'm not saying that's a great thing. Everyone ought to put out the fleece. But I will say this. I will say this in fairness. Sometimes I don't know if my own heart has led me to do something or if God's led me to do something And what I don't want is my heart getting what it wants and not God what he's wanted. And this whole process, right, you know I've been very slow moving. Why? Because I want to make sure it's not what Jason wants. Because Jason does want it. But it's what the Lord wants. And so there's been a lot of fleeces, and yet here we are. Every time they needed to be wet, they were wet. Every time they needed to be dry, they were dry. So what happened is he put out a fleece and says, okay, in one aspect he says, okay, the next morning I want all the ground to be dry, just the fleece wet. And it was. He said, please don't be angry, Lord. Maybe that was just a coincidence. The next day I want all the ground to be dry, uh, wet and the fleece to be dry. And it was. You know God knows that we're fickle people. God knows that we're simple. God knows we're like children who don't know how to go in and out. The difference here for Gideon is he desired to obey the lord he wanted to follow god he wasn't looking for excuses not to follow god he just wanted to make sure it was right he wanted more confidence he wanted more boldness in god because god had called him do something dangerous and you can criticize them all you want but i'm telling you this god doesn't seem to criticize him and it seems this that god answered what he asked and sure it says the perverse generation wants signs and wonders But sometimes we're not sure. And I'm not saying cry out for signs and wonders. But I am saying God understands our feebleness. And thank God He's a gracious God that comes through to remind us I'm still here. Have you ever asked God are you still here? Or have I gotten out on the pier by myself? And there comes a reminder right then and there. God is here. That's a fleece of sorts. And, and God wants us to, this is how faith increases. God shows you what He's done, that you might trust it. He shows you what He's done, that you might move a little further in confidence, and it goes on further and further. The more He does to strengthen your faith, that you will be able to trust Him as things get even more difficult. Look at chapter 7 now. Then Drubbable, who's Drubbable? Gideon. Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon? And all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So God first told them, I want you to stand against your own family. Stand up against your own family and do what's right with God. He destroyed his own family and his own kin's altar. Now the Midianites are coming up against him, and there's another issue there. And now he's got to stand against an army. And the Lord said unto Gideon, now watch this, this is where God gets crazy, right? We say that, and I say that as respectfully as just a demonstrative way. Then the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. God says, there's too many people with you. If you win this battle, Israel will say, man, we defended ourselves well. They can't know or think that they did it they got to know that only i did it remember what we said last week god specializes in allowing us to get in situations that only he can finish to bring us out into the ledge of impossibility that he might bridge it for us when things become impossible for man they become possible for god he says there's too many people imagine that you're scared to death you're going to fight this battle god's promised you a victory and he says, you got too many people. In war, we never have too many people. you got too many people. Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let them return and depart early from the mountain Gilead. And there return of the people, 22,000. And there remain 10,000. They had 32,000 people. He says, God says, okay, go back and say, if you're afraid, go home. He goes out to the crowd. Hear ye, hear ye. God said that if you're afraid, you can go home. All of a sudden, two-thirds of the people go More than two-thirds of the people go home. Gideon's got to start sweating right now, right? And being like, Lord, I only have 10,000. I had 32. I had 32. Why do I only have 10? Verse 4, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. That's like God saying this, you got too much money. No, we never have too much money. You don't know the bills that are coming. Yes, I do, you have too much money. Do you you ever do this, right? Do you ever have on your heart to give away money that you don't really have? And you're like, I I need that money. And God's like, yeah, but I want you to give it away. You're like, no, but I need it. Nope, you have too much. No, I don't even have enough to pay the bill. How would I have too much? You'll see. Give it away. That's kind of what's going on here. And the Lord said to Gideon, there are yet too many people, people yet too many, bring them down to the water, and I will try them for thee, for thee there. And it shall be of whom I say unto thee, there shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whosoever I say thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought them down to the people unto the water. Now God, the Gideon doesn't know what he's going to do. He says, bring them down to the water, and I'll tell you who and who, who not. And the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth of him, Thou shalt set by himself. Likewise, everyone that bowed down upon his knee to drink and put, uh, and, and, and um, knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink the water. So he's got this little obstacle where go drink water. And if you drink one way, you're on one team. And you drink the other way, you're on the other team. Well, the one team's got 3, 300 people. The other team's got 9,700 people. Hmm. I wonder which one God's going to take. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites out of thine hand, and let all the people go, every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and the trumpets and sent all the rest of Israel, uh, Israel every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And so here's what happens. He says, take the three hundred. So Gideon goes out there. He's the leader, right? All right, you 9,700 go home, us 300 going to battle. Can you imagine the, of the crowd? Everybody's thinking you're nuts. Can I tell you something? Sometimes when you're a leader and God's the one leading you to lead the people, sometimes things that are said are weird because God's leading that way. And I don't mean get mystical and, and, and kind of God came to me in this dream vision and here's how, I mean, I, I can't, that's another business. But clearly God was leading him here. And clearly he spoke to the people. And clearly this doesn't make sense. But it is of God. And so the 300 take trumpets and victuals. They take basically clay lanterns and trumpets. Verse 9, it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto them, Rise, get thee down for the host, for I have delivered thee into, the hand, into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Fura, thy servant, down to the host. Thou shalt hear what they say. And so, uh, and, thy hands be, and afterward, thy hands shall be strengthened to go down to the host. They went down with Phurah, his servant, on the outside of the, and the armed men that were the host, and the Midianites, and the Amalekites, and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. So they got 300, and they got multitude of grasshoppers out there that, like that. And their camels were without number, and the sand of the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley, bread tumbled into the host of the Midian and came into a tent and smote it, that it fell and overturned, that the tent lay long. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the men of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and the host. So God starts setting people at ease, speaking in his way to let them know this has happened. And it was so when gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped and returned to the host of israel and said arise for the lord hath delivered into the hand of the host of midian and so he gets confirmation again god is there god is there confirmation after confirmation see what happens in faith is we walk out and god confirms that step we walk out and it's scary and god confirms that step we walk out and god confirms that step And God God doesn't always tell you exactly where the end destination is, but He says, go and I will confirm your steps and let you know that's where I want you to be. I hope you're already realizing God doesn't need numbers. God doesn't need talent. God doesn't need all these magnificent things that we think we need. All we need is I am with thee. And so, it continues on. He says in verse 16 now, And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with the empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look unto me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so ye shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and 300 men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had put newly, uh, but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and were with their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held their lamps in their left hands. And the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal, And they cried, the sword of the Lord of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried and fled. So here's the battle plan. They far outnumber you. They're as the sand of the sea. Their, their camels are, out, you know, are innumerable. They have, they're looking as grasshoppers, and you have 300. I want you to surround them. It's nighttime. And I want you to blow the trumpet when I say, when, it, when you hear my trumpet, blow the trumpet. I want you to bash the, the light, and it'll begin to shine through the, the broken vessel there and yell, the sword of the Lord of Gideon. And so they do that. They surround them. They blow the trumpet. They flash the light. Now it looks like they're surrounded by a massive army. And the men get up, and they begin to run and flee. And we won't look at all this, but Israel begins to chase after them and conquer them. It's another asinine plan, like going around the walls of Jericho and blowing the trumpet. Here, surround the people that far outnumber you. Just trust me. See, God, Bible says this, some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. It means we will trust in God for all of this. We will trust in the Lord for all of this. And friend, what I want you to see in faith as we sum up and we begin to close it out now, he heard the calling and commissioning of God, and though he didn't think himself worthy, God said, I will be with thee, and he followed. And he didn't know where he was going, but he trusted each step of the way. And God begins to test his faith as he begins to question, am I in the right place? Am I in the right place? He says, break down the numbers, break down the numbers, break down the numbers. And then God gives this great victory. Calls him to do something bold and seemingly crazy, and God gives him the great victory. What you and I need to realize is this, that God will call us to do amazing things. Call us to do crazy things. Call us to, to have this great victory. It will just follow. It will just say, okay God, if You're with me, I'm going. But also be willing to say, if You're not with me, I'm not going. And watch God do something absolutely life-changing. Earth-shattering. Now, I do want you to realize that we don't get to a place where we say god you better dot 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 it's more of god i'm willing if you'll show up and god i will do what you want and be and just be waiting for when god calls you to do do something and then when he does follow and don't doubt it don't doubt what he's doing in our lives Don't doubt what He might call us to do. But here it is, availability, and even when God reduces the number, even when God shortens it, even when God stops all sense, but you know it's God, remember, He's the God of the impossible. And He says, I want to remind you of Gideon, who was just a lowly person of nothingness, and this great thing God called him to do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray now that You would be with our hearts as we look at these examples of faith, Father. We don't have to keep redefining faith, Lord. That's not the point. The point is to see faith lived out. Faith change a person from someone who's just keeping a threshing floor and keeping the wheat to doing something absolutely over and abundant. And Father, I pray, Lord, that You would just use us in this way, in this generation, in this time, even if we're outnumbered, even if it makes no sense, even if it seems silly, even if we seem like the wrong person in the wrong place, but You've confirmed that we are the right person in the right place. Lord, thank You, Lord, so much for Your faithfulness. And it's Your power we crave, not for our lives, but with us, Lord. Your power and Your presence in our midst. And we will follow. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to ask this first question. If you died today, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? If you're here and you say, Pastor Jason, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, would you quietly raise your hand now that we might pray for you? God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. Is there anyone else like that? God bless you. I see your hand too. If you're here today and you say this, Pastor Jason, as a testament to God, if God calls me to do something, I'm willing to follow it. If God calls me to do something, no matter what it is, now don't raise your hand just because you think that's what you're supposed to do. This is a commitment between you and the Lord. And this is not a confirmation that God has called you to do something that you don't know about. This is just a commitment to saying, God, if you call me, no matter what it is, I will follow as you work through my life. If you would say, Pastor Jason, I'm willing to make that commitment today. I will follow no matter what he calls me to do. Would you quietly raise your hand today? I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go. God bless you. I see many hands. Many hands. Good. Good. I want you to think about that. Who will God call for this generation? Now, I won't have a raise hand for this, but I want you to consider it. I wonder who wouldn't go. I wonder who might say, I'm not going, and why? Now, again, I'm not asking you to do that, but I'm just saying I want you to consider that today. And why not? Let's stand to our feet, head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. As the piano begins to play, if you want to solidify that commitment, saying, God, I'm willing to go wherever you call me, then my invitation is for you to come and make that commitment verbally to God in your heart. If you want to talk to somebody about how to get saved, please let me come to me, and we'll take a man with a man, a lady with a lady, and we'll show you from the Bible how you could be saved. But come make a commitment. If you made a commitment in your seat, you come make a commitment now. I'm willing, whatever you call me to do. I also want to put in your mind, if you're like, God, you should have called me to do something, I deserve that. That's a different mindset altogether that you ought to be praying through and saying, God, forgive me for feeling that way. That's not who God wants to call. But Gideon is an example of, and again, I know we went through quick. We could preach on Gideon for a couple of weeks. But I just want to give you the survey of it, the, over, the overview of it. How God called Gideon. He was just being faithful. And God called him to be the deliverer. But it really wasn't Gideon, was it? It was God. But God said, I want you to be the instrument in my hand. And as you look across America, and you look across Long Island, you look across the climate of the world right now, I wonder who will be the Gideon of today? Who will be the Gideon that says, God, I might not have much, but Lord, if you'll use me, here I am. Maybe God's already called some of you to do some amazing things. Maybe God's already called you to do some amazing things. Listen, for those that know my testimony, know I'm from... Of nothing of prestige family and am nothing at all and wish I was more. But God has done amazing things right before my eyes that I don't deserve. And that's only because He's there. I think what you're seeing right now in our midst, we, neither church deserves what God's doing. New Hope and New Village, we don't deserve that all these people coming and making decisions and the synergy between churches and His presence being so readily felt. We don't deserve that, and yet it's here. It's God saying, I am with you. I I can give you a million reasons why He shouldn't be with us, but He's here. And I'm just in awe of it. And you're part of that. And God's called you to that. What a blessing it is. We read through a lot of scripture today and the reason why also is because that is what's sharper than any two-edged sword. As we look through that, it changes our life. To Just be reminded of faith and Gideon and be reminded of some of the aspects of Gideon's life in a short survey way that we might say, wow, the numbers got reduced and God did it. The plan was weird to human expectations, but God did it. And His faithfulness, even when Israel wandered away in their heart, and then cried out and said, God, we messed up, but can you help us anyway? And God did. father we love you thank you so much for your faithfulness in our life father i believe that you want to do great things at this time i I do believe you want a remnant i do believe you want a revival lord i don't know who's up for the challenge lord i don't know any of us are but father we know that you are forgive us for our sins lord that may mess things up our fears thank you so much for your power and your presence thank you for your faithfulness and your mercy and lord i pray that you would call some people to do some mighty things lord again not for their name's sake but for your glory you call some gideons who would just be simply obeying in the mundane be called to do mighty things by your hand to see lives transformed father we love you thank you so much we pray all this now in jesus name amen